So the question that we're going to ask you today is, who's a murderer? And most of you will probably say, I don't know. Some people I see on the news, right? Some historical figures I read about, but definitely not me. You know, I'm not a murderer. And we're going to answer that question, you know, today. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And we're going to continue on the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' blueprint of what we are to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so he starts off by saying, you have heard that it was said. And then that, we're going to come back to that, but you have heard that it was said is important. Okay, to people long ago that you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he said, you have heard that you shall not murder. And so what's he referring to here? Well, he's referring to the Ten Commandments and the commandment that God said, thou shalt not murder because you will be subject to judgment or in that case, you will be subject to, you know, death. But then he goes on to say, but... I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is saying, well, you have heard it said. So you have heard it says that thou shalt not commit murder. He goes, but I'm saying this. And what Jesus was saying is he was saying that I am going to teach. Remember, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And what Jesus is saying here is I am going to teach you. You guys have been obeying, abiding by the law, you know, for your entire um, history as a Jewish nation. But I am going to teach you something radically new that is going to supersede the law. Okay. And when he says to abolish, he means to fulfill. He didn't, he didn't mean to abolish, but fulfill, to complete it. In one sense, he said he made the law, you know, obsolete. Because a lot of the ceremonial laws, right, had to include with washing the hands and making all the sacrifices um, for the forgiveness of our sins. What? Jesus fulfilled the law. So we, you no longer have to, you know, do the ceremonial washings to um, be clean. You no longer have to um, go to the priest to sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Why? Because Jesus took care of that on the cross. Jesus' death and blood that he shed makes us clean. So we no longer have to do that. You know, this is why, um, you know, we could eat bacon and lobster and shrimp. We're back in the Old Testament, the dietary laws forbade them to do that. But what is also Jesus says? He goes, love the Lord your God with what? All your strength, mind, soul, and so forth. And he said, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, the entire law hangs on those, that commandment, right? So Jesus says, if you love God and you love your neighbor, Right. If you truly, truly love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor, you are going to be fulfilling the law. Because he said the entire law hangs on that commandment. And so he's trying to say something new here. And basically, what, especially the religious leaders, they, they were really pious. They always patted themselves on the back by being super religious. And so what Jesus is saying, you cannot justify yourselves just because you haven't committed the physical act of murder. Because they were saying, you know what? I'm pretty good. 
I've, I've never murdered somebody. And I would say for the most of our, you know, we're saying the same thing here, right? I've never really murdered anybody. But what Jesus is saying here, he goes, you've heard that the Ten Commandments said the physical act of murder is against God's law. And you'd be subject to judgment. But what Jesus is going to say here is that murder goes deeper than that. It originates in the heart, not just in the hands. It starts with evil thoughts, regardless of whether or not those thoughts are brought into um, the action of murder. And one of the things that we're going to learn is Jesus, God cares as much, if not more, on what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside. Right? Because you're saying, look, guys, you said, okay, you think you're okay in the middle because you don't commit murder. But murder itself goes well beyond the physical act. Because he said, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Whoa, he's saying, so you're equating anger, hatred with murder? And, and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, psychologists and sociologists says hatred and anger are the emotions that out of any other emotions lead to murder, the physical act of murder, anger and hate. But Jesus is not talking about righteous anger because we should get angry about injustice. We should get angry over the fact that there are people in this world that go to bed hungry. We should get angry about the increased number of mass shootings that we're seeing and hearing on the, no- on the news. We should be getting angry at those things. That's a righteous anger. Right. That's when Jesus said, "Be um, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. This is the anger we're talking about. But the anger that Jesus is talking about is rather a selfish anger, an anger against a brother, whatever, or sister, whatever it may be, because he or she has done something to us or just simply irritates us or displeases us. It's really the word he uses for angry there is a word that has to do with brooding. It has to do with a simmering anger that is nurtured, and it just you just won't let it die. Have you ever had that where you're just angry at a person, and you just oh, you're just sitting there and simmers and simmers, and you just think worse and worse and worse thoughts about them. How could I get them back? You know, and so and you just won't let that anger die. And it's an anger of smoldering bitterness, and you just refuse to forgive. This is the anger that Jesus is talking about, and he equates that to murder. Um, He says, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. Now, it's interesting, Raka here, it really has no, there is no close English equivalent to that word. And so that's just why they just kept it, most translators just kept it as raka. Because it just doesn't make sense in our lang, uh, our English translation. But the closest, maybe we could use it, would be like a brainless idiot, a worthless fellow, a silly fool, empty-headed, blockhead. You know what Lucy always used to call Charlie Brown? You know, and words such like that. It was a word of arrogant contempt. 
But you say, oh my gosh, how many times have I called somebody, man, you're brainless, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, that's what, you know, he's saying here. But it's a way of saying it with arrogance, but also with a deep contempt for that person. And finally, he goes on to say, but if you say, um, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, the word fool just means stupid or dull. It's the term we get the word moron from. And so I don't know if you've ever called somebody a moron, but this is what, you know, Jesus, you know, is talking about, you know. And he says the term fool, um, you know, is where we get the word moron from, but its meaning did not involve the judgment of one's IQ. Because when we call somebody a moron, I mean, the word in Greek was moros, but moron, what do we, we're actually attacking their intellectual um, IQ. But here it means you're attacking their moral condition, right? And so raka would be like a contempt for a person's intellect where you go, hey, stupid. You know, in your anger, you just some call somebody stupid or you idiot, you know, or whatever that is. You know, your fool expresses contempt for his heart and his character. You could say, well, you're a jerk, man. You're a sinner. You're attacking his character. But to call someone you fool was to accuse them of being both stupid and immoral at the same time. And why is this so important to God or offensive to God because when you slander a creature that's made in God's image it's to slander God himself who made um, slander equivalent to murder by slandering somebody who was made in God's image is equivalent to slandering God himself you know for though you know you, you know when I was when somebody, you know, so, you know, like I said, I've been called a lot of names before, especially working at the airport, you know, before as a pastor. I mean, I've been called every single name in the book. And, you know, we've been taught to smile and, you know, you know, take care of the customer. However, somebody calls Michael something. Ooh, you know, I come from zero to Papa Bear really, really quick. You know, I, I mean, there was even one time when he came home crying because he said, oh, the teacher said this to me, said that to me. And she, I had to serve detention. I didn't even do anything. And he's in these tears. He's got these big old eyes. I'm not even thinking, is the teacher right? My son is right. You know, so I go down there and I give it to the teacher. Then afterwards, I come back and I say, okay, Michael, I had to talk with your teacher. And he goes, oh, but I'm not sure if I got the story right. I go, what? <laughs> you know, and then I had to go back there and apologize to the teacher, you know, and say I was sorry for I misjudged her. Then I went back and, ooh, Michael got it. You know, but, but the whole thing is that, you know, when you attack my son, what? You are attacking me, Right? You're attacking me. And this is what God says. You may not like that person who's irritating you. But that person was made in the image of God. And he said, when you attack that person, you 
are attacking me. And so why is hating a person so harmful to us? Well, the first principle is here. Hatred towards another person blocks my relationship with God. Okay? We want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to become more like him. And the only way we could do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we hate somebody, we create a wedge between us and the power of the Holy Spirit. It blocks our relationship with God. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother, sister, and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. You cannot love your brother. Uh, you cannot love God and hate your brother and sister at the same time. Those two are incompatible. Loving God and hating your brother is not compatible. See, God is love, and God wants us to relate to people in love, not in anger. So once again, hatred being angry at somebody because they irritate you and letting it simmer, it blocks your relationship with God. But what's another reason why it's wrong? Well, hatred towards another blocks our prayers from being answered. Did you realize that? A lot of times we go to some, you know, we go to God and pray, right? But he says, hatred towards one another blocks our prayers from being answered. In 1 Peter 3, 7, now, Peter's talking to the husbands here, but I think it applies to everybody. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hear into your prayers. You know, husbands, do you know that if you do not respect your wives or treat them the way that Christ wants you to treat them, God's not going to listen to you. Right there. He's not going to listen to your prayers. But then, you know, I'm not just, we're not just blaming husbands here, right? We're not just pointing the finger at husbands. I think this is for all of us. Is all of, if, if, and the Bible is clear on that. If we have a problem with somebody, if we are angry with somebody and refuse to forgive them and let that anger simmer into bitterness, God will not hear our prayers. You could pray to God all you want, but he's not going to listen to you. And see, this is why it's so important for us to deal with the anger that we have for another person because it blocks our relationship with God and it prevents our prayers from being heard. So what do we do when we're anger, angry with somebody? Well, Jesus continues in saying, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You know, it's interesting he says if... He doesn't say if you have a problem with somebody else. What does Jesus say? He goes, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, right? A lot of times when we look at reconciliation, it's only because maybe somebody's done something to us and we're angry and we think, okay, God, I've got to reconcile with them. However, this also says, 
if you know that a brother or sister has something against you, whether that's justified or not, Jesus does not qualify that here. He says, if somebody's got a problem, he said, leave your gift. He goes, first, leave your gift at the altar and reconcile with them. So what, what do we do with our anger if somebody you know, irritates us or angers somebody? The principle here is be the first one to move towards reconciliation. What's the first thing we do? Well, they're the ones who did it. I mean, they're the ones that should say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to go to them. They're the ones who, it's their fault. Since it's their fault, they should make the first move. What is Jesus saying? That we need to take the first move. Right? And then he also says, Reconciliation is so important. It takes, uh, it, it takes precedence over worship, right? How many of you who've been riding to church in the car got in a fight with somebody on the way? Any of you? Right? Yeah. Okay, so some of you honest ones are saying yes. The rest of you, I know that you're just not as courageous, but that's okay. But what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, if you're in the car, you're coming to worship service and you're getting in a big old argument and it's not settled by the time that you drive up into our parking lot. You know what's better, what Jesus is saying? It's better that you just stay in your car and work it out, reconcile, than it is to come to service and listen to me. Because number one, most likely, I'm not going to say anything that's going to address your problem. But what Jesus is saying... You know, reconciliation is so important. It takes priority over worship, service. Or part of your worship of God, you know, when you come here, is to what? Reconcile with a person. You know, how many times have you been to worship service, you've come in on Sunday, and you're just not feeling it? Right? You're like, oh, I could be home watching the Warriors in Portland play or the NFL game or, you know, it's like, oh, the sermon's kind of boring, you know, I don't know why I'm here or whatever. I'm just not into worship. Well, you know, worship, I mean, worship in the act of what we worship here in on service, that's an outernal, it's an outward expression of what's going on in the inside. Okay? And so, um, if you are, have something against somebody, especially if it's somebody that's close to you, and you just, you, you're just getting into a big one as you've pulled up into, onto our campus here, I guarantee you, you're not going to be able to worship. One, your relationship with God's going to be blocked, right? He's not going to, you know, even if we're praying and you're praying with us, he's not going to hear your prayer. It's best for you to take care of that before you come here. So next time, trust me, if you know you get in an argument, you're out in the parking lot, yes, we might know that you're reconcil- reconciling, but it's okay because they said Pastor Dave gave you permission. Well, actually, Jesus is the one who gave you permission. So that's important. And it's not just that. It's any sin, any unconfessed sin will ham- hamper our ability to um, worship the Lord. And then he goes on. He said, settle ma- in verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. 
um, do it while you st- still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Now, this is something that you know was uh, understood back then. If you had a legal argument with somebody, what he's saying is go out really quick and try to settle it with that person while you're still on the way to the um, courtroom. Because once it's in the courtroom and the judge makes a decision, it's final. Nothing you could do about it. He said, try to take care of it before it gets to that point. So what's the principle here? Is reconcile with the person you are angry with in a timely manner. In a timely manner. And he goes on to say, you know, I tell you that you will not get out until you have paid the last um, penny. And so Jesus was saying, look, you know, if you're angry and you're known for being an angry person, most likely you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because a disciple of Jesus Christ cannot be known by anger. It says, we are known by our love, not by our hatred, not by our anger. And yes, yes, you know, we're, we get angry at times. But our lives, people should not know us by our anger Anger should, or hatred should not be an adjective by which people describe us. Oh, look at that De Fukuyama. Oh, yeah, he's an angry guy. You know, that's, if we're a disciple of Christ, people shouldn't be using that as an adjective to describe us. But what he's saying here is if you have something with somebody else, reconcile it in a timely manner. Why? Because the more you let it go, number one, our, our memory goes right? Our facts get distorted. Number two, we start building our case against them. And so we're thinking, okay, if I'm going to confront them, I've, I've got all this time, I got all my facts down, I'm just going to nail them. And also, the more time you spend not reconciling, you're sitting there just stewing. And that anger inside you is just growing and growing and growing. Jesus says, if you have a problem with somebody, whether it's a coworker, friend, church member, spouse, take care of it quickly. Take care of it quickly in a timely manner. And so, the, you know, once again, so how do I reconcile with the person I'm angry with? Because I know I'm supposed to reconcile with them in a timely manner. So how do I do this? Well, number one, in James 4.1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He doesn't say, don't they come from the people around you? Don't they come from the insensitivity of those around you? No. He said, basically, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It says, whatever it is, it comes from within ourselves. So the first thing we need to do when reconciling with somebody is we need to start with, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Even if you think the other person is 99% wrong and maybe you're 1% at fault, okay, what's my 1%? How did I... I contribute to this. Because whenever we confront somebody, what, we're, what, we're, what are we always thinking about? What did they do wrong? You know, how could I tactfully bring it to their attention what they did wrong, right? Rarely do we say, what was my role in this? And I guarantee you, I've never 
you know, I've been doing a lot of, you know, counseling, you know, a couple counselings. I've never seen it when, you know, when somebody says always this, never that. That's never the case. And I could say that in this context, right? It's never always the other person's fault. It's never. So we start off by saying, what's wrong with me? Okay. And then what do I to do is James one nineteen. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. My mom always uses it. Dave, this is why God gave you two ears and one mouth. Right? You go, listen, listen before you speak. But it's interesting because if you take a look at that, and if you are quick to listen and slow to speak, most likely... You'll become slow to anger. That'll take care of um, the anger. And then he goes on. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Okay. So what's, you know, Stephen Covey in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of his habits was this. Seek first to understand, then be understood. You know, this is something that Abraham Lincoln always used to say. He said, whenever Abraham, whenever Abraham Lincoln was getting ready to debate somebody, he would always be thinking about what they would say, what they would think, and then how to respond to that, rather than to just say, this is what I'm going to say. And the reason being is everybody has a story. Everybody has a hurtful story. You know, when somebody's acting irrationally to bother you, there is a story behind that. Okay, and so when you're angry, what's our first reaction? To try to defend ourselves and prove that they're wrong. But how many times have you actually thought to listen to them, to understand their story? And I guarantee you, this has happened a lot of times in my life, that once I understand their story, once I understand what they're going through, man, my anger level goes from here down to here. It goes from being angry to, man, hey, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't know that. And sometimes there's actually been embarrassment on my part. I said, oh my gosh, if I only knew, I wouldn't have gotten angry. You know, forgive me for getting angry at you. And that is so important. So the next time somebody angers you, and it's going to happen today. I want you to try this. Try it. Seek first to understand them. Listen to them. Try to hear their story first before you want to speak on your behalf. You know, it's important, brothers and sisters, that we don't get angry because, once again, it does cut off our relationship with God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, but it gets in the way of our relationship with God. And for those of us, prayer is the most powerful force that we have in trying to live the life God wants us to live. You know, part of prayer is hearing God's voice. But if we're angry and hate somebody and we refuse to forgive them, guess what? We're not going to hear God's voice. So what's our weekly challenge today? 
this week. A weekly challenge is to meditate on Matthew 5, 21 through 26 every single day. Once again, it's only five verses. So I want you to meditate on that every single day and maybe twice. And if you're feeling that you're getting angry, crank out your phone and look on your phone. Or if you have your Bible with you, read that. And they said, if you are angry at somebody, think about how did I contribute to the situation? Okay? Somebody angers you today, and they probably will. You know, think about how did I contribute to the situation? Not just blame them all the time. And this is important. Ask God for his help in responding to your situation. Don't just go at it on your own. Before you talk to that person, before you seek to reconcile, your first move should be to go to God and ask him for help. Okay? And then when engaging with individuals, seek first to understand before being understood. You know, for each one of us, you know, it's more beneficial for us to live in a harmonious relationship with somebody than one that's contentious. It's more beneficial for us to love, you know, the people around us than to be angry and to hate. This is how we experience the blessings of God. Because I tell you, if you do these things, if you're, and you can only do this through the help of the Holy Spirit, that God changes you. And this is how we become more and more um, like Jesus Christ. You know, when you take these small steps to do what Jesus Christ wants us to do, to respond the way Jesus Christ wants us to respond rather than the way the world wants us to respond. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your direction and your guidance on how to deal with situations like this that are just so difficult. And Father, I know that there are people sitting here right now when I just talked about people who were angry with they didn't have to even think a name came right to them a situation came right to them and father for those individuals i pray that you would convict their hearts father they they would understand the damage that does to their relationship with you that 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 hatred and anger towards a fellow brother and sister blocks our relationship with you And that blockage is not clear until we reconcile, or at least attempt to reconcile, Father, for we know that reconciliation is a two-way street, and we can only do our part. But more importantly, Father, it blocks our prayer, you from hearing our prayers. Father, you are the source of our guidance. Your Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into truth who directs us to the people that we need to be speaking with, that directs us to the ministries or the people that we need to be serving or the, your Holy Spirit directs us to the people, Father, that are hurting, that we need to love. And Father, when we're angry with somebody, Father, you don't listen. Our prayers are unheard. And Father, you don't speak to us. So Lord, I pray that if anybody here today has a problem with somebody, that they would leave, Father, the gift here at the altar and first go and seek your guidance 
on how to reconcile with the person and father that they would do it in a timely manner so father that we could experience father the joy of being in a relationship with you thank you and yes name we pray amen